I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Before I say anything else, happy Father's Day to all the dads, to all the granddads. The years roll on, we understand, don't we, how important fathers are. We have men, we need more godly fathers and more godly grandfathers. And so, men, enjoy your day. It's going to end soon enough. Thank you for being with us this morning. It was about eight years ago, maybe, I've lost track of it all, but about eight years ago, vaguely, when my friend Cisco Cotto said to me, I was in town for something for a board meeting. He said, can we do breakfast? I said, sure. And so we did breakfast and he said, you know, I've been in the radio biz. He said, I think God's calling me into the ministry. Now I said, great. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, I believe God's calling me to start a church. I said, great. Where do you want to start a church? He said, Oak Park. I said, great. Oak Park needs all the good churches it can get, right? And, you know, I was thinking about that early meeting that I had before any of this came to be. There are a lot of men who have ideas and dreams. There are only a few who, under God, live to see them come true. And so for me to be here today, even though my friend Cisco is, I don't know, he's out and about somewhere... On his sabbatical, uh, I am so thrilled because you are a dream come true. And you are an answer to prayer. And, and I got to say this, being here today with you folks reminds me of other days in other places. It has a feel of other days in other places. And I am so glad this church is right here in Oak Park doing what you are doing. And I, I want to say too, I realize that some of you know me. I, I have a little problem because some of you know me really, really well. And the rest of you have no idea who I am at all. And, and to those of you who have no idea who I am at all, I'm really happy because that's a sign of the growth of this church, that you are reaching out to so many new people and to see here at the 19th Century Women's Club, here on this, are we on the top floor here? Uh, uh, up here in this beautiful auditorium to see it filled with so many people. Uh, a full house on a June Sunday, that is a wonderful thing indeed. And to, to those of you who came, uh, old friends from Calvary and friends of the ministry, thank you. I've done the best I could to remember every name. And... Uh, you know, you know how the, as the older you get the mental Rolodex, it, it, it whirls, but you can't get it to stop in time, you know? It's whirling in the head, but it, and then people walk off and then suddenly it stops. And so, doing the best that I can, I'm glad Marlene is here. If you haven't seen Marlene, would you raise your hand? So, I'm so glad she's here. Next, in, uh, in August, it'll be 44 years we have been married, and so, God has been good. 
You know, we left here in, in September. It'll be 13 years. 13 years since, since we left Calvary. We moved to Tupelo, Mississippi, and were there for seven and a half years. And then moved to uh, Dallas, Texas for five years, primarily to be near our grandkids. And we got them for about 14 months, and then they skedaddled. And we are now, as of two months ago, we are living in Kansas City, Kansas. We are actually in Shawnee, Kansas, but it's in the Kansas City area. And you may say, what are you doing in Kansas City? Well, our ministry, the way it is now, uh, keep believing, uh, the one thing we've got to have is a good airport, or at least a big airport, and Kansas City is certainly big enough. But the way we ended up, you know, we've got three grown boys, and they're all married, and they're, none of the boys were married when we left the church, and we didn't have any grandkids, and so now they're all grown up, and we've got Mark is, Mark and Vanessa are up in Missoula, Montana, and Nick and Sarah are here in Chicago, and Josh and Leah, Josh, our oldest son, they are in Kansas City. And so that means we discovered, we've got eight grandkids, actually seven, and, and number eight is in the oven, so to speak, and coming out here in just a couple of months. And a year ago, at, now folks, to those of you who don't know me, I'm just catching everybody up, okay? <laughs> Answering all the questions at one time, you know. Uh, so bear with me. And by the way, if you have your Bibles, and I know you do, open them to First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Said the preacher, I'll get there directly, okay? I'll get there directly. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. But a, a year ago at Christmas time, we were visiting with Josh and Leah up in Kansas City. And, they can, and their kids, Knox and Violet, and um, they said to us, Josh and Leah came to us, and they sort of formally said, Mom and Dad, would you consider moving to Kansas City to be near us and be near your grandkids? And as I have told people, once those words were spoken, Marlene did not have to pray about it. She <laughs> knew God's will. It just, you know, those of you know, it just, it just took us about a year or so to sell the house in Dallas, and now we're up in Kansas City. And so we've got them in, we've got uh, four grandkids up in Missoula and two here in Chicago and two in Kansas City. And there, the Kansas City kids are one mile from us. So we're in Grand Kid Heaven, and Tuesday night they're gonna, Knox and Violet are gonna spend the night with us, and they put their little, they put their little sleeping bags at the foot of our bed, and so it just literally, that for us couldn't be any better. And you know, to say it that way, to say it that way reminds me of this, that next year, in August of next year, um, it will be 30 years, 30 years since we came Oak Park, and I came to pastor at Calvary Memorial Church. We were all a lot younger back then. We were all a lot younger. Josh was 10, and Mark was 8, and Nick was 5. We raised our boys here. Our boys all went through the school system here. They all graduated from OPRF, and so no matter where we go or what we do, Oak Park is a big part of who we are and what our family's all about. And you know, I, I, I come here and I don't just think about the church and I think about the memories and the things that God did. I also remember how many times, probably 300 times in 17 years for lunch, I would get in my car, 
I would go to Harlem Avenue. I would go down to Parkies. I would park at Parkies. I would go to Parkies. Do you not know what Parkies is? That scares me. That terrifies me if you don't know what Parkies is. And, and in the early days, I'd have a Polish and big fries with grease coming out of the bottom of the bag and a big Coke. Marlene always knew when I'd been to Parkies because the car just held the beautiful aroma for days at a time. You know, so I think about Oak Park and, and all that it means. Now Josh and Mark, our two oldest sons, are older than I was when I came to the church. And I now, as of last September, I am 65 years old and on Medicare. I see my friend Ian Smith, chief man among the brethren, one of the great elders of the church at Calvary. Ian, we were both a lot younger 30 years ago. I'm, you're not coming in my direction, Ian. I'm coming in your direction, you know. And you know what they say, when you turn 60, you become a philosopher of life. A philosopher of life. Because one thing is for, one thing is for sure. When you turn 65, you can't kid yourself, can you? You're closer to the end than you are to the beginning. And if you think anything else, you're just fooling yourself. The truth of the matter is, when you are 65 and moving on, you are coming down the home stretch of life. And I think about that a lot. I don't know, I don't know how close the finish line is. You know what? It may be a lot closer for me than I think. I have my plans laid out, but in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. So I found this poem written a hundred years ago by a man named Henry Twells called Times Epics. When as a child, I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth, I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still, I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find, in passing on, time gone. O Christ, wilt thou have saved me then? What is your life, the Bible says? What is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. So, I spend my days on the internet, as we all do. I spend my days on social media, as we all do. I feel like half my life is on Facebook and the other half of my life is on Twitter. And I was, I was scrolling through Twitter and came up on a Twitter account. I have no idea who, who made up this account. I have no idea. It's called Daily Death Reminder. You can't make that up. Daily Death Reminder. Okay? There are, whoever is behind this has tweeted 710 times. And all 710 tweets are exactly the same. You will die someday. Exclamation point. I saw that. The one from two days ago. And the one from the day before. And the day before. They all say the same thing. You will die someday. And what's crazy is people are retweeting that. By the hundreds, they are retweeting that. I don't know who said that. But it is true. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. The psalmist said, so teach us 
to number our days. Why? So that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That brings me to my topic for today. The title of my message is very simple. Time to get rid of your worries. Time to get rid of your worries. It's just one verse. I've reached the point in life where if I can do one verse, I'm happy with it. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Now, we are told often that we shouldn't worry because 95% of the things we worry about don't come true. I think that's probably right, but you know what? The problem is the 5% that do come true. And how can you figure out which ones are in that 5%? I got to confess to you. Now, I wrote it down in my notes just to be honest about it. I am a worrier. Between me and Marlene, if there's any worrying to be done, I'm going to take care of all of it. For that matter, if there's any grousing to be done, I'm going to take care of it. For that matter, if there's any kvetching to be done, I'm, I just, that's just my department. I am a worrier. And you know what? As life rolls on, I don't think I'm getting any better about it. So what are you worried about? Someone named Katie Madrano published an article several years ago called The Top 10 Strong Human Fears. Top 10 Strong Human Fears. I'm just going to read these to you without any comment. Number 10, losing your freedom. Number 9, the unknown. Number 8, pain. Number 7, disappointment. Number 6, misery. Number 5, loneliness. Number 4, ridicule. Number 3, uh, rejection. Number 2 is death. Interestingly, death is only number 2. Number 1 thing we, f- we fear is failure. If you look at that list, those are sort of the existential worries and fears that are on the inside. Someone else reported on a survey, the report of, uh, of, of which, what is it that actually scares Americans the most? See where you fit on here. Number 12, just counting them down. Number 12, Americans are scared of the dark. Number 11, going to the doctor. You should be terrified. Number 10, thunder and lightning. Yeah, that bothers me. Number nine, dogs. I don't get that at all. Number eight, flying on airplanes. I couldn't do my ministry with that. Uh, Number seven, mice. Yes, I've got no use for mice. Number six, needles and shots. That goes with the doctor, I guess. Number five, spiders. Number four, closed in small places. Number three, heights. Number two, public speaking. Well, I'm in trouble. Number one, you know what the number one fear of most Americans is? Snakes. Snakes. So, about... About two weeks ago, I went out to get the paper and in Kansas City, in Shawnee, and got the paper and went back in. And then Josh came over, and we went somewhere to run an errand. And we came back, and only about an hour passed. We were walking back into the front door, and right stretched out in front of the front door of our house, four-foot-long snakeskin, snakeskin, triangular head, long snakeskin. Much worse than seeing the snake. (laughs) Because when you see the snake skin, what do you know? There's still a snake around somewhere. Haven't slept good a single night since then. Now, about the problem of worry. The, the, The scientists who study this say that we worry 14 hours a week, 744 hours a year, that you will spend 45,000 hours in a lifetime worrying. That is to say, in a lifetime, 5 
1.2 years of your life will be spent worrying. Now, for most people, it's not just one thing. It's many things wrapped up together. It's the job. It's your school. It's money. It's work. It's your health. It's bills to pay. Your husband, your wife, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, the in-laws, the kids, and on and on it goes. And any one thing we could probably handle, or even two things. But when you get three or four of things, those things together, the knees start to buckle. So, you just ask yourself, when we use the word worry, what are we talking about? Well, the word worry, now this is helpful. The word worry comes from the old English, weirgan, weirgan. W-Y-R-G-A-N. You know what that originally meant? It meant to strangle. It meant to strangle. Worry is the strangling concern. It's the, it's the concern, and you feel it, beginning to push the air out and strangle your life away. Worry, someone said, is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. Worry, as someone else said, a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. John Haggai said, quote, In America, worry has become part of our national culture. You could write on countless American gravestones the epitaph. Hurried, worried, buried. So here is my definition of worry. It is anxiety over the future that dominates the present. And said that way, worry is a sin. It's a sin for two reasons. First, because it displaces God in your life. And second, because it distracts you from the things that really matter most. Well, how do you know if something, if a legitimate concern has become an overwhelming sinful worry? Well, some ways to, some ways to spot it. If it's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at night. If it's what you think about during every spare moment, if you have to bring it up in every conversation, here is God's answer to our worries. Tucked away at the end of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7, a wonderful verse of the Bible, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Now, this verse and a couple of other versions. The CJB says, throw, throw all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. J.B. Phillips said, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. And um, Eugene Peterson in the message gave it to us this way, which I really like. He said, live carefree before God. He is most careful for you. Take your cares, take your anxieties, take your burdens, take your worries, God says. And he he doesn't just say, give them to me. He doesn't just say, hand them off to me. He says, throw them down, throw them down, cast them down, get rid of all of that. God says, take the thing that is burdening you this morning and give it to me. Now I wonder... How many of us this morning came to church with a burden? I wonder how many of us this morning woke up with a worry. I wonder. Well, let's start another way. Is there anybody here who didn't wake up with a worry? Is there anybody this morning who didn't come to church 
with a burden, with something that is playing and plaguing you on the inside. Here is God's invitation to you. He says, take that thing that is bothering you and cast it upon me. Now, in this verse, there are three important directives. Here's the outline, three important directives. Let's go right through the verse. First, there is a definite action, a definite action. Cast all your cares on him. Now, if all we had was that verse, that would be enough. But here's some more. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Matthew six twenty five. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Matthew six thirty four. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Don't you have enough to worry about today? That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Each day has plenty of trouble. Each day has enough stuff to bother us. Oh, wait a minute, there's more. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me say it again. Say it again, just to repeat it, to make sure we all got it. If all we had was 1 Peter 5, 7, we'd have enough. But just add those verses together. God is saying, you worry wart. Why don't you trust me? Why are you carrying the burden when I will carry it for you? Now, this word that is translated casting all your cares, it's kind of an interesting, um, it's kind of an interesting word. It means, uh, it means you are carrying a heavy boulder on your back and you, and you grab the boulder and you throw it down. It, it's, this word is only used one other place in the New Testament. It's used in the story of the triumphal entry. As Jesus was about to ride into Jerusalem, they, they, they got the donkey and the foal beside, and they, it says they took off their jackets, they took off their jackets like this, and they cast their jackets. They cast them. They threw them on the donkey so it would be like a saddle for Jesus to ride on. That's what the word means. It, it's... I don't know if anybody here is a hiker or a backpacker, okay? Some of you are, and God bless you. All right. I'm not, but I admire you. From my lazy boy, I admire all the hikers and all the rest, okay? At the end of the day, when you've been out hiking, and it's hot, and it's sweaty, and you're tired, what do you do with your backpack at the end of the day when the work is done? You take it. You unhook it. And you drop it down so you're not carrying that weight anymore. That's the exact picture of this verse. To take the thing that is bothering you. To take the thing that kept you up last night. To take the thing that you were really so worried about. To take it and just unloosen it and drop it down. It's a very definite action. Now, part of the problem is, uh, and I've already told you, I am something of a worrier. If you don't believe that, just ask Marlene and she'll laugh and say that's not the half of it. The truth is, I worry obsessively about things. And you know what? I wrote down here just to tell you this. 
The reason I worry is because I, I kind of think this way. Well, as long as I'm worrying about it, I'm doing something about it. No. As long as you're worrying, you're just wasting time. You're carrying a burden God never intended you to carry. Understand, there's a fine line between sinful worry and legitimate concern. Peter is not telling us. He's not saying, blow off all the concerns of life. He's not saying you shouldn't be worried about the clothes you're going to wear. He's not saying you shouldn't think about uh, your job and, 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 and paying what you owe. And you shouldn't worry. I mean, if you've got a loved one who's sick, you're going to have them on your heart. He's not saying that. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, make your wise plans. Make the decisions you need to make. But watch this. Do not let yourself get strangled by things you don't control anyway. So a while back, I was, I was worrying. And I decided, this is a good, you should do this. I, I decided to make a list of all the things I was worried about. And I decided I'd give myself 15 minutes to lift, list all my worries. Started the clock going, and I started writing down. And, uh, boy, it was, boy, I, I was good at it. I was fast. And when 15 minutes were done, I had 43 different things I was worried about. And I, as I read them through, I thought of four more just like that and ended up with 47. Here's my observation about my list of 43 that became 47. Number one, not a one of them were world-shaking problems. Nothing about North Korea, nothing about China. Nothing about politics. I mean, it's the stuff of marriage and the family and life. The stuff that we all were. So number one, none of it was earth shaking. And number two, none of it was stuff that I had any real control over. And I found that kind of a, that was an interesting revelation to me. I was wasting my time worrying about stuff that really I couldn't change anyway. Someone has said worry is like death by a thousand paper cuts. We're just, we're, we're, we're dripping blood everywhere because we're worrying all the time. So number one, number one, here's the way out. Here's the way out. Definite action. That thing that's on your mind. Some of you, some of you, look, I love you and I know you. Some of you are tuning me in and tuning me out. It's okay. I still love you. It's all right. I'll let you know when anything important comes along, all right? But some of you even here. You got stuff. You know what I mean? You got stuff. And I'm preaching on it. And you're, you're, you're tuning in and you're tuning out because the stuff is that you, you got problems that are living rent free in your head. So you can't even hear what I am saying today. And God says, why are you living that way? There is something you can do. You can take your problems and you can cast them before the Lord. So number one, there's a definite action. Number two, there's a divine destination, a divine destination. Cast all your cares upon him. Just all your cares on him. So if you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, why aren't you taking notes? <laughs> I used to say that back at Calvary, right? Look, either he carries the worry or we do, right? Either he carries the burden or we do. He's smarter than we are. He's stronger than we are. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. Why are you carrying what he said he would carry? So, a divine destination casting. Uh, I, and I, I just got this quote. And I'd give you the source, but I forgot where I got it. So I just give it to you. Jesus 
will carry your backpack as you hike toward heaven. Write that one down too. That's good. Jesus will carry your backpack as you hike toward heaven. Casting all your cares on him. Who's the him? He who is before all things. Who's the him? He who is above all things. Who's the him? He who created all things. He who is omniscient. He who is omnipotent. He who is omnipresent. He who is all good, all loving, powerful, gracious, all benevolent, our great God. He says, cast it all on me. Jesus says, will you let me carry your burdens? How can you say no to him? So number one, there's a definite action. Number two, there's a divine destination. Cast all your cares upon God himself. And number three, the delightful reason. Here now we're coming to the heart of the message. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. And and it's interesting. um, Casting all your cares. Because he cares. Those are actually two completely different words in the Greek. It's like casting all your anxieties. And the word in the the second phrase means. uh, It means. It means. It means, it's not enough that he cares for you. Uh, It means he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He has you on his heart. Literally casting all your cares on him. Because much thought in heaven is being given to you. He has you on his heart. It's like a mother. Look, it's like a mother. With a sick child. When your child is sick. That's all you can think about. You can't. You can't relax. You can't really laugh. You can't go out and play. If your child is sick. That's all you can think about. It's like a soldier. Who goes off to war. And the family back home. That's all. How's dad doing? How's mom doing? Where are they? Have we heard from him? Have we heard from her? A soldier away. Like a husband coming home from a trip. You've got him on your heart. It's like the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son. Who while he was far away. Far away. And wasting his inheritance. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the father. The father gave much thought to his son. And he stood in the road. Day after day after day, waiting for his son to come home. Don't you know somebody said, Old man, come on back inside. Old man, you're crazy. Old man, come on back inside. Your son is never coming back. And the father said, I am not coming inside. I am standing here. I am not giving up. My son is on my heart. He will one day come back. Much thought, much thought is given to him okay take that take that this is our god in heaven he is standing in the road he's got you on he's got you on his mind people say to me can god speak to me today I, they say that can god speak to me today i tell them don't worry about it He's got your name on speed dial. He can call you any time of the day or night. And you will not put him on call waiting. God cares for you. He knows you. He is thinking about you at this very moment. So uh, so you know, you know that antiphonal chant that goes, God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Right? You know that, right? 
God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. So I was, I was writing in, in, in one of my sermons. I found out that didn't start in America. That actually started in the churches of Africa, especially in the churches of Nigeria. And it migrated from the Nigerian churches over here to the U.S. And, um, and I put that in one of my sermons, which got, they go, my, my, my email sermons go out all over the world. And I've got, I've got people in Nigeria who get those sermons. So there was a woman in Lagos, Nigeria, who, who, who got, who, who read that sermon. And she read what I said. And she said, it's true. We say that in the churches of Nigeria. But she said, we add something to it. I said, what is it? And I just have to hold my hand up. God is good all the time, in every circumstance, no matter what, God is good. Wow. God is good all the time, in every circumstance, no matter what, God is good. Wait a minute. God is good all the time, in every circumstance, no matter what, God is good. But but wait a minute. That wasn't the whole thing. She wrote and said, that's what we do in our church. But she said, we add something to it. When we finish that, the whole congregation goes... I am a witness. Oh, that's good. I am a witness. God is good all the time in every circumstance. No matter what, God is good. I am a witness. Let's do that together. God is good all the time in every circumstance. No matter what, God is good. I am a witness. Yes, yes, it is true. God is good all the time. And you know how we know God is good all the time? Because he proved it. He proved it when he went to the cross. We come to communion in just a moment. We're, we're going to remember what our, what our Lord did for us. He went all the way for us. His body broken. His blood shed. And so you may say, my, my circumstances are not what they're supposed to be. And, and I'm going through a hard time. And sometimes I wonder if God is good. Get your eyes off your circumstances. Raise your eyes to the bleeding cross of Christ, where the Son of God loved you and died for you. Take a good look at the cross, and you will understand how much He cares for you. Okay, all right, all right. I've about used up all my time, so now I'm going to make the turn and go for home, all right? I like to tell people I'm coming to the end, so I'm slowly now making the turn and coming to the end. You know what our real problem is with this sermon uh, like this? That the problem is down deep we don't really believe it. Down deep we really wonder. We, I mean, this is a bad, it's a bad world, right? It's a messed up world. There's so much killing. I mean, we had those suicides, Kate Spade and, and this other fellow, Anthony Bourdain, and, and there's there's so much there's so much death. There's so much sadness. There's so much, I understand we live in a truly broken and fallen world, and we all go through pain. We, we all go through struggle. I mean, I feel like every day I get a letter from somebody else that says, pray for me, I'm going through cancer, or my loved one. You know, I mean, it's just, we're living in a hard world. And it's easy to say, that's a nice verse, but it's not really true. Look, at the end, our problems are not emotional. And our problems are not circumstantial. At the end of it all, our problems are theological. Our problems are that we doubt 
that God is who He said He is. And we wonder if He will really do what He... I mean, our secret fear is, if we cast our care on Him, He's going to mess things up somehow. You know what people say? Pray for the opposite of what you want, because that's what God is going to give you. What a messed up view of God. Look, look. He's not the God we think He is. He's much better than that. He's not the God we think He is. He's much better than that. And so we come as little children. We come and... And, and we pray, and, and, and we just say, Lord, do, I'll, I'll tell you, okay, we'll tell you this story. A long time ago, way back, way back before Calvary, when Marlene and I were in Garland, Texas, and I was pastoring a Bible church down there in Garland, Texas, and Josh was maybe, this happened when maybe Josh was maybe five years old. We were having an all-night prayer meeting at the church. We started at eight and went to six in the morning. And every hour on the hour, we started with a little devotional and some singing. And then we prayed and had a little snack break. And we went through the night that way. Must, what I'm about to tell you must have happened early in the evening. Because it happened like at 8 or 9 o'clock. I was up giving the talk. And there was, it wasn't a crowd as big as this. Maybe a crowd about half as big as this were there for the beginning of the prayer meeting. And I was up. We'd already sung. And I was up waxing eloquent on who knows what. Right? And I know it was early because Marlene had uh, Josh and Mark and Nick, who was just a baby at the time, uh, and they had them there for the first couple of hours. And I gave my talk, and I finished. It just seemed normal to me. And when the talk was over, one of my men came up to me and said, Did you see what happened while you were talking? I said, uh, No, I don't think anything happened. And he said, You didn't see what Josh did? Uh, no, I didn't see anything at all. While I was up talking, our five-year-old son was back there hanging around, as pastor's kids are wont to do, just running the joint, you know. And he was standing back there. He saw his dad up talking. And while I was talking, he walked around the side. He walked up to me and stood next to me. He grabbed my pants and started pulling. And I turned and looked to him, and I bent down. He asked whatever his question was. I answered it. I turned around and kept talking, and he just walked off completely satisfied. It was so natural and normal, I didn't even know it had happened. He knew, because he was my son. He could come up and tug on my pants leg any time, and he would get my full attention. Brothers and sisters, you can come up to the Lord and you can tug on His pants leg anytime. And whatever He's doing running the universe, He'll stop. He'll turn to you. He'll listen to you. He will hear what you have to say. So, I was preaching on this somewhere and a nice a nice person, a woman I didn't know, came up to me and she said, she said the truth. She said, you know what my problem is? I don't have any problem casting my cares on the Lord at night. She said, but I take them back in the morning. That, that's probably the way we are. We cast it on the Lord, but in the morning we grab them back again. We all have our midnight questions. We have our burdens and concerns. The questions that keep us awake at night. What will tomorrow bring? Will our health hold up? 
Will we have a heart attack or a sudden stroke? Will we end up in a nursing home or waste away in a hospital? What about our children? Are they going to serve the Lord? What if something happens to them? Who's going to take care of us in our old age? Singles wonder if they will ever marry. Married couples look at all the divorces and wonder if they will make it. And to all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our anxieties, God has a two-word answer. Fear not. Fear not. Will things get worse? They might. Fear not. Will I lose my health? You might. Fear not. Will I get cancer? I hope not. But fear not. Will I keep my job for a while? But fear not. Will my loved ones undergo hardship? They certainly will. Fear not. Will my investments collapse? Guaranteed. Fear not. Will I run out of money this year? Yes. Fear not. Will tragedy strike my family? I hope not. But you know, tragedy is no respecter of persons. Fear not. Will my children disappoint me? Probably as much as I disappoint them. Fear not. Will others ridicule my faith? Definitely. Fear not. Will my dreams turn to ashes? Maybe or maybe not. Fear not. Will I face death this year? Fear not. It's kind of like the daily death reminder said. You will die someday. So I found this statement. I found it. Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth. Write that one down too. Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth. We have a great future because we have a great God. So, chin up, child of God. Stop staring in the soup. Pull those shoulders back. Put a smile on your face, casting all your cares on Him. For He cares for you. The year was 1851. And in Maryland, which was a slave state, a young boy was born to a couple. The father was a slave. The mother was a free woman. The mother didn't live very long. And they raised the little boy with the other free relatives so he wouldn't be sold into slavery. Looking back on it years later, that young man said, My father often hired me out because we lived in such great poverty. After the end of the Civil War, Charles A. Tinley felt God was calling him into the ministry. He went to a, he went to a theological school up around Philadelphia. He trained to be a Methodist minister. He went in two years in Cape May, New Jersey. He went two years pastoring somewhere in Delaware. They moved him around to four or five different Methodist churches. Finally, they sent him to a small Methodist church in Philadelphia. It didn't stay small. History records that Charles A. Tinley was one of the greatest preachers of his generation. He is called by many people the father of gospel music. His church grew and grew and grew. And I find it, it somehow cheers me up to think eventually his church, they named it after him. They called it the Tinley Temple. It was the first great megachurch of the 20th century. 10,000 people came to the Tinley Temple Methodist Church in Philadelphia in 1910, 1915, 1920. He was a great preacher, 
He was a songwriter. And as he said, I came out of poverty. And the thousands of people who came to my church, they came out of poverty. Nobody had much of anything. But God vastly blessed the church. And in 1916, he wrote a gospel song that I guess most of you have probably not heard, though some of you may have. It goes like this. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and He can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care, He will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. This coming September is 13 years since we left Oak Park not knowing not knowing. I just wanted to drop by today and say God is good. God is good. God is good. All the time. In every circumstance. No matter what. God is good. I am a witness. We serve a great God. We can trust Him. He's good all the time. Let's cast all our cares on Him. For He cares for you. And for me. Lord, we're so glad it's true. So glad. So glad you love us. So glad you care for us. We know you proved it in your death on the cross. So Lord, forgive us for carrying burdens that you said you would carry. Forgive us for worrying. Teach us to trust because you truly are good all the time. In every situation, no matter what, you are good. And we are the witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.